Big Conversations Little Bar with your hosts Randy Florence and Patrick Evans, featuring candid conversations with the Coachella Valley's most interesting and influential people. Pull up a bar stool and enjoy Big Conversations Little Bar. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. I'm Patrick Evans along with Randy Florence. Your sidekick. Happy to be here again, Patrick. <laughs> the Tonto to my Lone Ranger. <laughs> the Chewbacca no. to your Shatner. One person. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. One person called you a sidekick. Now, it was a very important person. The I most important I'm person. I'm not going to name names. Well, I won't either, but I would say it's somebody who has something to do with the center of the Coachella Valley universe. Which is here at Little Bar. Which is where we record our podcast. And we are very appreciative of Skip and his team, Skip Page. Uh, for providing us this location and uh, helping us have a lot of fun. And today we have not one. This is the first two-guest podcast we've ever done. I'm nervous. (laughs) Well, you you should be. (laughs) We have Melissa Neiderman and Tim Gross here, and they're the power couple of the Coachella Valley. You guys do so much. And frequently, Melissa, you're doing it without Tim because he's too busy playing all across the country, posting hilarious pictures from his venues with Rick Springfield. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, and speaking of sidekick, I was sort of thinking about the fact that in different situations, Melissa and I are each other's sidekick because before I started touring with Rick about 10 years ago, she was really involved with charity things, and a lot of times I was known as the husband of the lady who does all the charity work. And really, I'm just like the plus one. I just kind of wave, hi. And, uh, and now we're in a situation... He's being modest. He does all the behind-the-scenes stuff, the videos, all that work, all the tech work. So behind a successful man, behind a successful woman, there's the, the other. The sidekick. <laughs> so working for each other in a sidekick role. But, you know, marriages are just sort of built like that. And sometimes they, people take on one role or the other, and I, you know, got to find a spouse. And then sometimes it's kind of like my marriage or your marriage, where some days I'm the sidekick, some days I'm not. And, uh, you know, Randy? Well, I'm never playing the correct role on the correct day. So that <laughs> well, Kay certainly would agree with that. Randy's wife. That is Tim a, could say that, too. That, that is a trick. No, it is. There's 42 a, years, and I still haven't got it down. Who's the star send us of a today? text in the morning and say, today, you are a sidekick. Okay, yeah. thank you, honey. Got like, it. Yeah, bef- like before I get out yeah, of we bed. We should do that. That's right, yeah. It's not, not a bad plan. <laughs> Maybe actually send it the night before so we know and prepare for it. So uh, I want to hear a little bit more about this event melissa's event this sounds fantastic can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect to see lip sync for a cure it is lip sync for a cure the fifth one um started this a while ago obviously we had to skip two years for covid but um what it is is we get a bunch of celebrities and local well-knowns to come together to make fools of themselves on a stage why they while they lip sync to songs they choose and then we have celebrities and other local well-knowns who are judging them, kind of like American Isle. Yeah. And this year, uh, Tristan Rogers and my husband, Tim Gross, are the co-hosts, so they have to reel in the, the judges. Sidekick. I'm the sidekick. sidekick. He's sidekick. the sidekick again. There we go. See? Uh, We're going to get t-shirts again. Yeah. I'll just a bigger wear cast than I think you've ever had yes. for this event. I mean, yes. you've got a ton of people. I do, and that's that's the juggling part, but um, it's I'm just overwhelmed by how many people want to be a part of it. And everybody does this for free. 
And they're putting a lot of time and energy into it because they don't just come and lip sync. They get the costumes, they do the choreography, they pick the video that's behind them, and it is a blast. It, it's a huge amount of fun, and we um, we are honoring Tristan Rogers for all of the volunteer work he's done for the American Cancer Society. That's what this is benefiting. And also, we are dedicating it to um, a very good friend of Rick Springfield and ours who passed away in October from pancreatic cancer. So it's going to be a night of, you know, laughter, silliness, hope, and touching moments. So we're really excited. And we're very grateful to the Palm Springs Cultural Center for allowing us to have the theater. A bigger venue because you have a lot of people. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. lot of people. We were always grateful for Purple Room, but we got a little bit bigger. Outgrew it. Yeah. April 29th, right? Yes. It That's is April dance. 29th. And you know, the main thing that impressed on me was the first time I went to, I guess the first one, I wasn't expecting much, but it's just so much fun. It's kind of like the difference between watching comedy on TV where you're like, eh, and then you're actually at a comedy club where it's just so much more enjoyable. I feel it's really like that. Uh, people just walk out with big smiles on their faces. It's a it's a happy, just fun event with some funny stuff that happens, and it's just it's well. Just and, great. And, and who hasn't you know stood in front of the mirror exactly. and lip sync to a song and think I'm pretty damn good at this? I, I should do it in front of people. But you know, your performers just put their all into it. As you they say, do. they dress up, they, they prepare. It is an incredible performance. And they're really serious about the competition. Um, longtime supporter Gretchen Bonaducci, who was married to Danny Bonaducci, has her own reality shows. She is obsessed with winning this year. She's been <laughs> in it since I started, and she hasn't won. She should have won last year. I think she should have, yeah. Yeah. And so, but she is like crazed about it. And then when everybody else finds out, oh, it is a competition, that's it. And then I, got, I get uh, emails like, can I put this video in? Can I do this? Can I do this with the audience? I'm like, do whatever you want. So this is going to be a full production video, oh, yeah. everything. Yep, and the sidekick is doing all the, the rendering and the video production. Right. Oh. Are you doing any performing, playing any background or anything? Uh, I am not. I'm just going to be on stage sort of directing things with Tristan. Yeah. But yeah, I've, my problem is, well, for, well, first of all, I'm good at video editing, so if somebody needs that, I do it. I can do audio editing, so if somebody needs that. I own a full-size pickup truck, so if somebody needs to move, <laughs> I get asked to, to do that. Uh, you know, my back's pretty good. I can lift things. Oh, I, I'm just a sucker for people. I'm, I'm too damn useful. You're too damn nice. It, it'll help as you get older. You know, at my age now, I just look at people like, are you kidding? When they ask me to help them move. Fair. Yeah. And Randy, when they ask him to do an airport pickup, he says, I'm, I'm sold. I don't remember where it is. So it's just, he gets out of everything. We have an airport? <laughs> is that new? Uh so you guys have been doing this, uh, you took a couple of years break, but right. this is the, this is the fifth, fifth year. Fifth mm -hmm. year. So it's terrific. And by the way, thank you for doing this. This oh, is such you. a fantastic, and I have to say as a, as a survivor, oh, you are. Uh, any event that we do like this in town um, is something that I find very, very helpful and positive to all of us. Thank yes, you for doing that. Absolutely. You yeah. know, we've all been touched by it, either with family, friends, or ourselves. So and it's just not ending, and we got to keep the research going yeah. and the and the services for the patients. Absolutely, because that's what we do: the rides, the hotels for when they go to, need to go to treatment, and anything uh, that they need help with to finding out information. 
Great. All right, it is Saturday the 29th. What time does it start? It starts at 6. 6 o'clock. I uh, suggest getting there a little earlier. At Palm Springs Cultural Center, they have a cute little cafe. You can get food there. And then if you purchase a ticket on VIP, you can come to the after party, which Keisha D. will be singing at. And we'll be having food and open bar. And you can do the meet and greets. All right, so VIP is definitely the way to go. So now you can make it. I didn't hear anything other than open, open bar. bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually why I say it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, what's that? Okay. <laughs> a podcast at a bar? I'm in. <laughs> okay. Hello. Uh, so when you're not being Melissa's sidekick, you were, you were raised in Santa Barbara. You're a California guy. I did grow up in Santa Barbara, then I lived in L.A. for about seven or eight years, and now I'm out here, yeah. And you are classically trained. As a pianist. Yeah, I took classical lessons for about eight years. Dropped out as a young teenager because I didn't see where this was going. <laughs> Trying to learn how to play piano with symphonies when I had friends who were starting to play in rock bands and stuff. So I, uh, I recalibrated. But see, all of those lessons led you right to Jesse's girl. Absolutely. It took a while. <laughs> so let's go back to that for a minute. So classically trained at a very early age. At one point, it was music the direction you started heading. And... And was there something in the family that kind of drove you that direction? Uh, you know, when my mom could play piano and my, my dad, my dad's mom actually taught violin and piano. So when he would come home from school every day, he would hear horrible violin going. <laughs> Somebody stepped and, on uh, the cat. And so he hated music because of that. And he did not enjoy hearing me practice piano at home. <laughs> he would. Uh, I'd be. I'd be in the next room trying to play, and he'd be trying to watch something on TV, and he'd call out Tim, and I'd, I'd stop, and I'd say yeah, and he'd say thank you, because I, wow. because I stopped playing to ask him what he wanted. <laughs> so that's so that's how that went. <laughs> Was that kind of his style? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of a. <laughs> so we could take a dive deep into that. So how are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would so explain after, a lot of things about being a sidekick at this point in your yeah, life. And, and after yeah. therapy, that's no, right? Yes, there was many there, years of therapy. There, there was no therapy. Uh, you, you played with a whole bunch of folks, uh, but you've been with uh, with Springsteen for how long? Springfield. Springfield. <laughs> it's easy to wow. do. Oh I just gave you an upgrade. Now, no. you're never now Springfield to just no. found out yeah. that yeah. Yeah. now Springfield's on. never going to bring me anywhere. Rick actually recorded a song called Bruce, where he sings about hooking up with a woman who yells out Bruce during the romantic Oops. interlude. <laughs> John, we'll just edit that part out. So you've been with Springfield for how long now? Uh, about 10 years. <laughs> how did that gig come about? Well, it came about in the easiest way possible. One of my absolute best friends is a keyboard player named Paul Trudeau, and we grew up playing in competing bands in Santa Barbara, not grew up, but in Santa Barbara as teenagers through early 20s. We were both playing in bands, and we both lived in L.A., and I actually played keyboards for his band because he wanted to front the band. And uh, so we're super close, and he was playing with Rick Springfield, and what happened was, I don't know if you have seen the movie Ricky and the Flash, which is Meryl Streep and, uh, and Rick Springfield. Yep. So pretty much, you know, the, the, his best opportunity to, he, he got to play in a movie opposite Meryl Streep. So he had to take three months off to film it. And so he wasn't able to gig for several months. And musicians aren't known for saving up 
money for a rainy day. So my friend Paul had to, I assume desperately, go out and, and find work. And so Billy Idol was just starting up with a new album and a new book he'd come out with. So he started playing with Billy Idol and he was trying to kind of do both because he didn't really know what was going to happen. And uh, eventually multiple gigs came up that were coinciding. So he basically called me up and asked him to sub for Rick Springfield uh, for maybe three gigs. And, and he, said, he said, I asked you for two reasons. One... I know you can do it. I know you can. You'll be do a really good job, and, and you, everybody in the band will like you because personality-wise, you'll be good. And secondly, I know you're not going to try to steal my gig. <laughs> and, and so you and, stole his gig. And so I stole his gig. <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes you got to teach people lessons. That's, that's right. You didn't know me as well as you thought. You're a good friend. <laughs> uh, so talk though about. There were some there were some years where you were driving back and forth between L.A. and Palm Springs and playing gigs in town. Talk about that. Uh, well, that was back when gas was a lot cheaper. <laughs> when I when I first I uh, another thing that uh, my friend Paul, this guy who got me into Rick Springfield, has actually shaped quite a few things that I've done. And one, he got me the gig. Uh, playing out here in Palm Springs originally at Cecil's on Sunrise, which was in the Smoke Tree Plaza. It was Mel Haber's. Yeah, Mel, yes. Mel Haber's place. And But it was after he he had already sold it. And so, anyway, I was driving out on the weekends. My friend did it for a year, and then he just, you know, driving in every single weekend was a lot. So he gave it to me. And so I was driving in, and I remember very specifically that gas was 85 cents a gallon. This was right before the Northridge earthquake. And so I would gas oh, up wow. in L.A. for 85 cents, and I had a little truck and to drive to Palm Springs and back, like $15. <laughs> and so it, it would make sense financially to do that. Now, if you were going to go do some little gig, you'd pull out a calculator and you go, well, it's going to cost me $80 just to get there and back, so maybe not. <laughs> Streaming sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of driving involved. So I first started doing that, and then the Northridge earthquake happened, and because I, I lost my place, it was condemned in the earthquake, so I had to find some place to live, so I wound up running a place in Palm Springs knowing I had to be here every weekend, and then I would just drive into L.A. for rehearsals and stuff, but that didn't happen every single week. It only happened as needed. So you got more used to being in Palm Springs. Yeah, and once I was in Palm Springs, it was so much better because I was getting my truck broken into multiple times and stuff in L.A. I wasn't being treated super well in L.A. by the forces of nature or, or whatever you want to consider it makes all these things happen. <laughs> so uh, I really like being in Palm Springs and uh, I met Melissa right away and started so dating. How did you two meet? She used to come with a close friend of hers to dance at this place, Cecil's, and so I saw the two of them coming in, and uh, we have competing stories about how we met. Do you want to tell yours first? No, you're I wish not. we had like a cone of silence or something <laughs> yeah. that we could put over each one of them. <laughs> we have to isolate the contestants in today's program. Our, our competing stories are that her story, because the, the way it felt to her, was that she... She had her friend come up and say, hey, uh, I just I talked to the keyboard player over there, and he seems like a really nice guy. You should meet him. And so she thinks that we were introduced by a friend, and that's how we wound up being together. I, made, I started talking to her friend as a way to get to meet her. And so it was not this perchance thing that happened. I started talking to her friend specifically so I could meet her. So uh, her but version of the way, story isn't... You were both using this one friend. I mean, <laughs> yes, let's be exactly. Yes. <laughs> we need to get that friend on the <laughs> bus. <laughs> right. I mean, think it about all, how that friend We are feels. still friends with her. <laughs> it all comes back to, yeah, t yeah, two friends. So my friend Paul Trudeau and, and her friend Cheryl. And uh, 
just use and abuse them to get what I want. I well, know. whatever the stories were, you, you ended up here. Exactly. exactly. Tim, was there ever a plan B for you outside of music? Uh, not specifically. When I uh, started going to UC Santa Barbara out of high school, and I went for about two years, and I was uh, majoring in business because, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good with... Uh, you know, math and computers and stuff like that, but I really didn't like it. And I was gigging three nights a week uh, in town in, in Santa Barbara, so I was kind of semi-famous in Santa Barbara with the over 21 crowd, but I was only 18, 19 <laughs> years old. And then I would be going to school, and eventually uh, I dropped out of college to move to L.A., and uh, my parents weren't super happy about it but they were, they were actually pretty cool <laughs> r- relatively speaking I, I felt like they'd be more upset than they were were you back on speaking terms with your dad at this point well his uh, dad just said thank you <laughs> and then that yeah. ended the conversation I, yeah, I said I'm, I'm, I'm quitting college to move to LA and he basically said does that mean I won't hear you practicing at home anymore <laughs> It's a win-win. And, win. and then my found my, my packed my pack bag was outside by the front door and, <laughs> and that was the that. story goes from there <laughs> yeah so Robin Zander, Terry Nunn, Greg Kinn, Sammy Hagar, John Waite, Mickey Thomas, Rick Springfield, Patrick Evans. Um, He's never played for me. Tommy Two-Tone. Tommy Two-Tone. Tommy Two-Tone. See, I wanted to go through that list and quietly have you give me a thumbs up or a thumbs up. Like, was this a good guy? Was this a bad guy? I'll do that for you. Okay. But, but. Is there ever a time when you just kind of sit back and say, oh, my God. Well, you know, I've had, I've had multiple coincidences happen where, you know, you go, if you could go back in time and tell your former self, blah, 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 you'd be like, no way. But the craziest one was that I, I graduated high school in Santa Barbara in 83, and our senior trip overnight thing was we went to Disneyland, where you stay up till dawn in Disneyland. It's the whole senior thing, and then you go home. And the band that was playing at Disneyland was Berlin, which is Terry, Terry Nunn's band. And for, I don't know why I knew this, but there was a big buzz because she has this song called Sex, which is, uh, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a woman. And so, but it's called Sex. And uh, it's kind of a duet with this guy that says, I'm a man. And, uh, and so we were told that she couldn't perform it because it didn't meet Disneyland's standards. Because it was named sex. Because it's called sex. They and changed it to abstinence, and they were later <laughs> yeah. able to perform And, you know, it. we're 18 years old, graduating <laughs> from high school, and we thought, what kind of bullshit is this? Like, she can't even sing this song, Sex. Well, fast forward, and uh, she was doing a... I, I performed with her, and she asked me to sing this, the duet Sex with her. And I have video I and audio of, of, of me recording it. So, so I didn't get to see her play it in my senior trip at Disneyland, but I was actually on stage performing this song, singing with her. She had her arm around my neck. We were both singing into the same mic at one point. And uh, what a, I mean, that's just the, my head would explode when I was graduating from high school to think that that would be the case. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of other things that are not quite that dramatic, but what an amazing thing that I wasn't able to go back in time and tell myself. (laughs) How about venues? Were there any venues that you're standing on the stage and you just couldn't believe you were there? Well, uh, another cool one was the very first gig I ever went to, the very first show I ever went to. I was 16 years old. For some reason, my parents didn't know who the Grateful Dead was, and they let me go to a Grateful Dead concert at uh, at the L.A. um, Forum, at the L.A. Forum. Uh, You know, 
I'm 16 years old and I went with older friends and I'm outside waiting to go in and somebody walks along and says, uh, LSD, $3 a hit, $5 for two, or, or tab or whatever you call LSD. <laughs> $5 for two is a good deal. Yeah, I, just, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but listen yeah, to but these that, two. I don't, even want, I don't even want LSD, but it seems like such a bargain. <laughs> I know. It's like, really? <laughs> it's all I could afford. It's on sale. <laughs> But uh, and, and so that was the first show we ever went to, and I wasn't even that much into Grateful Dead. I tried to listen to it to get to know him, and by the second half of the show, I started enjoying it more, and I think I just got a contact high because there was this green <laughs> pot smoke haze just floating around the whole thing, and uh, again, my parents knew nothing about that whole thing, and they just let me go with the older friends. So anyway, I, I got to play at the forum for an iHeart 80s uh, sold-out show with Rick Springfield. And so the very first venue place I ever went to go see a concert, I played a sold-out show. Wow. So again, if you go back in time to me being 17 and, uh, or 16 and, and be able to say, someday you will play here to a literally sold-out arena. What would be even better is if you could go back to that point in time and then tell your dad, no, I'm going to play to a sold-out crowd before, dude. Like, this whole this I don't, nonsense. I don't think that would change his opinion about the way that piano sounded when he's trying to watch something on TV. Now, Melissa, how long have you lived in Palm Springs? Since uh, 1989. Moved from upstate New York. Actually, first I was in L.A., and then we moved here. What brought you here? Uh, my parents, my dad's in the business, uh, Hollywood business, and they were here first, and they Melissa, wanted to get out of Melissa's LA. dad is, uh, well, he wrote The Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate. He's, he has written 154 books. He is the ghostwriter for V.C. Andrews, which is the writer um, Flowers in the Attic. So he's wrote a few books. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's a little crazy. So and that brought him out here. He's one of the most prolific here. authors. Yes. I mean, it's just... and. A lot of what he writes ends up getting turned into movies, yeah. television programs. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, All it, the VC Andrews is just he. They sold it to A and E Studios now, so he's tireless. Getting, yeah. I mean, like the guy just every I know, time he's I talk to him, turning eighty three. Wow, and he's still going. He's remarkable, and he's uh, nominated for Edgar Allan a, a Poe Award that he'll hopefully find out in just. Two weeks. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And so how did that upbringing kind of drive the direction that you headed? Mm, Good question. Well, my dad was a teacher. Um, I became a teacher. (laughs) And uh, my parents were both very giving and uh, always helping different organizations. And so when I was a little kid, I helped Ronald McDonald House. And um, then, you know, my mom is a two-time cancer survivor. And when I moved here, um, a lot of my friends, also cancer survivors, and I went to the American Cancer Society um, gala, and I didn't like the way it was running, and I opened my mouth, and here I am 12 years later. But basically, um, you know, my parents were very supportive of anything I've done, and I just kind of followed the footsteps of my dad, and they're good-hearted people. That's great. Siblings? Yes, I have a younger brother who acts like my older brother. He is a pilot, and he um, he's now the COO of a private jet company in Orange County. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Family, siblings? Uh, I have a younger brother and sister, and my brother is actually a bass player, guitar player, who I played in a band with, uh, a band with before. And uh, he's a good guy. You know, we, I've done duos with him, and we have similar sounding voices, so it it actually sounds really cool when he harmonizes with me because it's. 
sounds like I'm cheating and singing with myself. <laughs> you're doing the Billy Joel trick where you record multiple tracks yeah. and sing along to yourself. The Carpenters. <laughs> but he's actually real active playing in Santa Barbara right now um, with, with he's in three different bands or something like that. And uh, and my, my sister lives in San Diego and she's a nurse. So. How much time do you spend on the road with the, the Springfield gig? Well, we've, we average somewhere between 50 and 80 shows a year. Um, over the last 10 years and you have to factor in travel days with that so if you just do a, what you call a one-off just one show that's three days that you're gone you know two full nights so by the time you add it up uh, we can I can be gone just about a third of the year really you know pretty you know 120 days so um, I you know, at first was worried that uh, Melissa would miss me, but I think to some degree, she <laughs> now just, it's she, like, she where has, are you going? She has, <laughs> the, the, the How can I miss you? The heart you won't go fun. away. <laughs> you know, uh, I've 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 snored at, at times, and uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure she enjoys nobody snoring next to her. <laughs> <laughs> this is you know that's a stable that's a pretty stable gig for showbiz. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time, and. Uh, like the touring is still going strong. Yeah, no, it really is, and it's it's in a way it's the kind of gig that people would want if they had the option. Like for instance, my uh, my friend Paul Trudeau, who I stole his gig, he um, he went with Billy Idol, and for the first couple of years he was working his butt off. They were uh, he was they went they would go to a European tour for over a month and they would go straight from there to South America without coming home. He was gone for two months at a time and uh, really working hard. And they did that for about two years in promotion of the new album and then he stopped. He pretty much didn't really work the next year or two and I kind of felt a little bad <laughs> because uh, I, here I am you ruined his career was there, my, yeah. was there an email steady, exchange somewhere in there like Paul yeah, Redding saying hey keeping up my steady 50 to 80 gigs a year and I'm like hey I, I heard you're playing like four times this year that sucks <laughs> sorry dude and, uh, and then I thought in the back of my mind I'm, I go well he probably saved some of that money from when he was working oh, really sure. hard but then again probably not yeah, yeah. <laughs> It just life doesn't work like that most of, the time. most of the time. So I got to hear you sing the national anthem recently. Oh yeah, cool. that was really cool. Yeah, that yeah. was very cool. So how often have you done that? Is that the first time? Well, that was the first time. I know that's that's kind of thing. My uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. My uh, I have an uncle who was a surgeon, and um, when he was gonna do surgery for the first time, a specific thing, the guy said, "How many times have you done this before?" And he said, "Once." And then after the surgery, the guy said, "How many times have you done it now?" And he said, "Once." <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. <laughs> so same story here. <laughs> so uh, the truth is, uh, yeah, that was the first time I've ever sung the national anthem. It actually was really interesting, though. Obviously, this was at the Firebirds. Yeah, so at the yeah, Firebirds at the Firebirds. Ac- yeah. Ac- yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Firebirds. No, it was very cool. Hockey team. Yeah, and uh, I will say it's very different. Um, I-, I had one of those uh, little things you blow into to get your pitch because the, the rule number one is don't start in the wrong key. Right. Oh, see. Don't start too high. Yeah. <laughs> I was not at the game. Were you singing to a track? No, no. no it was just a cappella, so uh, you can oh. just do whatever you want. But if you don't start in the, at your right point, you're going to run into some serious trouble yeah, later. It's a rangy song. And you yeah. can always tell at the first note, right? Yes. You yeah. can always go, yes. oh my God, they shouldn't have started.
started that there. That just happened in one game. I, we were watching. I forgot what it was, but I felt bad for the girl. It was so bad. It's not an easy song to sing, yeah. quite honestly. But I, but I will say, when there's nobody there, it's really easy because you can hear yourself and it's echoing. Because we did a sound check where I sang to the empty thing, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then we came in with all the people, and everybody's sucking up the sound, and you really can't hear yourself, and that can be a problem because you know it's hard to tell if you're on the right pitch when you're. When you can't hear yourself, you know. But uh, I do think you ever I, get nervous? I think I did pretty well. Well, you know, for that, I didn't get nervous at all because I have so many hours of, of playing in front of, uh, you know, I've played in front of that many people before, right. but made a bunch of times. And the thing with that is, if you're playing with other people, so if you make a mistake, you can cause other people to make mistakes, and you can crash and burn. You know, you could do something and throw off the whole band. Yeah. So the thing here, I'm like, well, the, what's the worst thing that could happen? I could forget the words. <laughs> you know, I'd be over the land, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, it's just, but it's just me. I'll like make vowel shapes or something. Well, the great thing there is then the, the crowd just pipes in and <laughs> right. they take over right. from that point. Yeah. And, and I know you can get away with that. I, I, was, we were, we were, uh, I was in a band in L.A. with, uh, I, w- I was playing with a friend of mine named Bridget Beninati and she, she wound up co-writing uh, a bunch of hit songs and she became very successful but we were we were playing songs that we were uh, auditioning to get a record deal and we were playing a song and she hadn't written words for the bridge yet and so she didn't know what she was going to do and so she was just looking straight at people like I'm looking at you right now and really belting it out and uh, you know and I love you and this is the part where I didn't write words <laughs> and they didn't hear what she said Nobody. at all because they were just taking in the energy and but she literally said this this is the part where I didn't write words or something like That's that. Hysterical. And I thought, yeah, you know, you just go for it as long as you keep your intention going. <laughs> 30 years later, somebody yeah. will hear the lyric and go, well, that's what, <laughs> that's what they said. All right, so yeah. initially this, the podcast idea was about music. So, and obviously music is a big part of both of your lives. Yes. Uh, what, are, what are, for you, <laughs> the songs, the artists, Tim excluded because you're married to him, the songs and the artists that, that, that you grew up listening to that you love that you find inspiring. Oh, everybody makes fun of me. I am a huge, huge Barry Manilow fan. We're not going to make fun of you. And I I got over it a long time ago, but that's in my yearbook. I know this is making everybody laugh, but it said, Melissa, in like, what will be your future? Barry Manilow's wife. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> Barry was, Manilow. That was before he came out. Yes. The Bee Gees, uh, Eagles. Well, you guys do still live in the same town. I mean, it's Yes, like, and down the street from his that's house. That's right. So. Yeah, so. <laughs> I've tried <laughs> to stalk him. <laughs> but, well, and by the way, I love the fact that she loves Barry Manilow because, I, well, first of all, I, I owned Barry Manilow's songbook before I met her. You know, I mean, he's got some great stuff for learning on piano. And uh, I also like that style of music. You know, when I lived in L.A. before I moved out here, that was back when metal was king. And so we'd be going around to these clubs playing with these hair bands, you know, poison type, you know, bands like that. And so, you know, you start going out with some girl and you're like, what, you know, what kind of music do you like? And Megadeth. And I'm like, oh, oh, I don't necessarily have that much to offer you on a musical. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that, that she likes Barry Manilow, I go, oh, well, then she would like what I do, you know. So well, I was actually telling Patrick bef- before we sat down today, I had to look it up. Uh, 
We went to see Barry Manilow on February 6, 1983, my oh. wife and I. Oh, wow. Where? For, at the Circle Star Theater up just south of San Francisco, oh, okay. a little town called San Carlos. So I've been a Barry Manilow fan since then, and, and okay. I am not embarrassed to say I probably have more Barry Manilow music on I my do. playlist mm-hmm. than any other single artist. It'll be Tim going forward. <laughs> of course, Tim and Rick, yeah. So what about you, Tim? What it's like, uh, obviously, you were kind of immersed in music growing up, and you had something that really kind of pulled you in a certain direction. Yeah, well, you know, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why this is, except maybe I was uh, attracted to the complexities of it, but I was really like listening to complex rock music when I was a young teenager. So uh, I was listening to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. There's an album called Brain Salad Surgery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't know at the time that Keith Emerson was considered to be the best rock keyboard player that ever lived. So I'm listening to this stuff, and it's hard. There are rumors that I (laughs) listen to that album a lot. (laughs) Well, just, you have to buy it because the cover has, like, a bunch of skulls, and you open it up, and, oh, it's a very cool cover. And, uh, And I was listening to Rush, which there's no real keyboards in Rush, but, again, very complicated. And the early sticks music, which was very orchestrated and yeah. very complex, and um, uh, what's his name from Sticks? Very good keyboard player. He would do these synth solos, and um, uh, you know. So I always just took it that if you wanted to be a rock and roll keyboardist, you had to be really, really, really good because the people I listened to were really good, and. Uh, after that, when I was playing in Santa Barbara clubs, there was only about four clubs and four main bands, and we sort of rotated through. And all the keyboard players were really good. My friend Paul Trudeau was in another band, and he was good. Uh, you know, um, com- we, we were comparable, I would think. There was another guy who uh, inherited some money when his, I was told, when his grandma passed, and he had gear that you know, you would salivate for. He had this expensive stuff that I could never afford to buy. Three keyboards, and I'm like, well, this guy is really good. Because, <laughs> because basically, because he had the money for it, you know. And, and again, I, I thought, well, if you want to be a keyboard player in an L.A. band, you have to be really good. Well, it turns out those guys were both really good. And I went and visited the other guy in L.A. too, and he was you know, getting work, but I was comparing myself, I've always compared myself to people that are really good. So it turns out I'm, I'm good. You're holding yourself to <laughs> a good know, standard. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Uh, well, you're not only good at playing, you're good at teaching. Tell me about Piano Genius. Yeah, that was an unusual thing. Uh, the way it sort of came about was my niece, Emily, said she was trying to learn piano by looking at YouTube videos. And this is, this is 2002, something like that. No, I'm sorry, 2012. Uh, whatever 11 years ago would be. 2012. I always lose a decade somewhere when I'm trying to go back in time. <laughs> I lose a decade when I come to Little Bar most of the time. <laughs> I only did during that brain salad surgery time, but that's a completely different story. <laughs> well, it's right in the name, brain salad surgery. There you go. <laughs> but so I, I, I typed in YouTube beginning piano lessons, and I watched what people were doing. And obviously, I understood what they were trying to explain, but I thought it was confusing. Like, if I couldn't half follow what they were saying. So I just sat down and I made a 10-minute video and I said, I'm not a piano teacher, but I'm a professional musician and this is how I would explain how to understand the keyboard. And it it was 10 or 11 minutes long and I put it up, didn't think another thing about it. But then after about nine months, it, it had been viewed thousands of times and I had been smart enough because I've, I've done internet business stuff before I put a little thing hey if, if you want more videos go to my website and subscribe so I had gotten a hundred was it a hundred or a thousand subscribers a thousand no, I think it was a 1000 And so I thought, well, I guess I need to try to create something to try to sell these people because they're obviously interested. So I did, and I said you can buy, and something like 30 
33 people paid me $20 the first month for their next lesson. And uh, it took me months to get it up and going because you got to get all the infrastructure and figure out how to do it all. But then every month I was, uh, they were owed another training. And so monthly I have this thing now, a subscription, where every month I have to add something new. And meanwhile, that first video that I did has been viewed 17 million times. <laughs> I... I I buried the lead, the 17 million, wow. uh, which is just insane. And so whenever I, musicians find that out, they, they I want to pick your brain. And I say, I don't know what to tell you because at the time, piano, no one was teaching piano like they would teach a rock guitarist or anything. They were just teaching it like classical. So when I did my thing, it was the first time I think where, you know, it was approached like from a rock and roll point of view kind of a thing. And since then, a lot, I mean, I've been copied... Who have I been copied? <laughs> There's a lot of people, you know, explaining things in similar ways than I did, but I kind of like to think that I kind of started the whole thing with the way I did it. But anyway, I have this ongoing business where every month I need to create new content, and I've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people subscribe for more content. That is and, so cool. And many thousands of people have, you know, paid me for it. And, uh, and so whenever I'm not on the road, I'm always behind working at trying to create more stuff and, you know, make the training even better. So, and how can people find that, Tim? Pianogenius.com. Pianogenius.com. I came up with a silly thing where I said that there's only there's eight notes in a scale, like, you know, do re mi fa so latito? That's eight. Uh, and so I said, if you can count to eight, which is a scale, uh, you can become an instant piano genius. That's what the first video said. And then I explained what that meant. That I'm hey, sorry, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> do you have you the smaller version for people in seven? So four. <laughs> if if Randy can, was a mortgage banker, he can count to eight million yeah. while you're oh, sitting eight. there. <laughs> and so, so it was kind of silly. And, and you know, some people on YouTube, you know, that's ridiculous. If you kind of count to eight, I didn't say you'd be able to play really well. I said you'd be able to understand what you're doing. You'd be able to look and go, that's how you do this chord, that's how you do that chord if you can just understand what you're looking at. And I did accomplish that in, in 10 minutes. Well, it's odd that you'd get any negative comments. Oh, people always... About anything. Oh, I know, yeah. online. It's people ridiculous. always want to... People are always very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So very how many nice. instruments do you play? Well, I play guitar and I, I, I play that on several songs on stage. That's my only like real second instrument, but I, I honestly don't really put much time into uh, improving the level that I'm at because I always have more. You know, the weird thing about teaching piano is I basically have to teach more than I know. Mm. Like I, I did some stuff on how to play Sinatra jazz, you know, type stuff. It's not my forte. So I actually had to sit down and go re do a refresher, you know, what is, you know, what is a, a, a C11 with a flat at five? Like so that's now he can play with you, Patrick. <laughs> I know one song, it's Summer Wind. We'll work on it. It'll be great. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've, I've actually had to sit there and, and learn certain styles that I wasn't comfortable with enough to be able to teach it. And, and uh, so it's improved my piano playing that way. But I go, well, if I learn how to play uh, flamenco guitar, that's not helping it. It's not helping me. <laughs> First of all, I'm not making any money off it. Second of all, Rick doesn't need me to play flamenco guitar. Well, <laughs> and some other Charles, Charles got, got that flamencoguitargenius.com. <laughs> She's already got that. So like, it's out. It's out. What about you, Melissa? Do you play any instruments? I did. I played clarinet in my high school symphonic band, and I did a little piano, but not great. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I uh, just dance. That's my music background. Dancing. There you go. What kind of dance? Anything and everything. No, nothing uh, actually trained, professionally trained. I just, and that's why I went to Cecil's 
my girlfriend was an MTV dancer when back then when they played music. Wow. And so she and I would start the dance floor to get people to come on to the dance And are you floor. a dancer? I uh, do can that. Move his I do arms. that. Oh, Please, you're making me look bad. I'm glad this isn't on video. Good lord. <laughs> I but, saw that character in Caddyshack. <laughs> but, but her main thing is uh, she basically dances to exercise. So she does this double time thing where she's, you know, her, her feet are going like skippity, skippity. Oh, and, skippity, and skippity, skippity. <laughs> so, that so, is a dance move I don't. Uh, yeah, I'll show it to you later. So if you're trying to dance with her, you're going to look like a clod because you're going one, two, three, four. Four, and she's going <laughs> so she's intimidating to try to dance with unless she simplifies uh, to you know make you feel like you're in her zone <laughs> well my wife and I took disco lessons in 1979 and we're still using those moves oh, today so that's, yeah it's great in my high school we had to learn dance the hustle oh yeah we had to learn all those dance moves well we were in my high school I think they were still teaching square dancing oh, so okay I'm, we had to do that I'm so probably yeah. 30 or 40 years older than you Melissa <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> So what's next? Are you guys collaborating on anything beyond the lip sync? Are we? We did. We tried. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, we did. I didn't mean to get into a sensitive topic here. No, he's just away a lot. And actually, this summer, he's going to be away quite a bit. They have a big bus tour with some yeah. other musicians they're playing with so yeah, he's going to be away a while. And do you plan on being away from here in the summer does it work out great that that's the time in other areas where concerts are are big and popular well i mean the fact that we're in the desert uh it's it's great for me to go away really it's uh, july august is is when stuff's just really i'm barely home yeah and of course the bad thing is that she's here and sometimes her friends and family parents and stuff are around but sometimes they're not and so she she can be just sort of stuck here and her, her parents it's are out of town making me sound really sad no, <laughs> no I'm fine there's a seat right there <laughs> no. and, uh, so, I am you know, very fine uh, you know I call and I'm like hey how you doing she's like 116 degrees yeah, and the only there's thing. nobody here to talk to I'm like oh cool <laughs> talk to you tomorrow <laughs> sweetheart yeah, she hears the beach I'm in, in the background I'm in a really great hotel yeah. we're, we're like can't we we have really high ceilings, and if we if we try to have the audacity to lower the our, AC, forget lower it. our AC low enough so we're actually comfortable, it's just so outrageous. So when I'm in hotels, you know, I'll keep it at just freezing, and I can't even tell her that it's 116. Oh, I slept and it was 60 degrees. <laughs> Got it down to 55, slept like a baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as we uh, are recording this, we've just completed the first week of Coachella. Mm -hmm. um, any involvement there? Do you, do you care to go and listen? Or keep away from it. Keep away from it as far as, 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 far as, as you can. can. <laughs> well, we, we used just, to bring our son there in the very beginning. Yeah, when well, when yeah, when it, well, when it first started, that was back when you could buy individual days and it wasn't right. this big package thing. We went and, uh, you know, it was it was fun. Um but at the same time, you know, they would still like, wouldn't let you bring in your own water, and then everybody would just get dehydrated, and it's just so relentless when it's over 100 degrees. And I go, you know, it is cool, but boy, this is not my favorite way to spend. And we knew the lineup back then, right? Well, so, okay, that was that. Uh, you segued nicely to my next question. So you're in the business, and, and when the lineups, and I'm not, I'm like, and I'm I'm a square, so like, 
a lot of the letters wins. I don't know. But every once in a while, they'd like throw out a name that I knew. This year, I had to look into the really small print before yeah. I like yeah. there was Blondie. Yeah, I saw that Blondie. Yeah, and, I saw that. And, that was it. and I did. I couldn't name a song, but I did know Blink One Eighty Two was Same. a band. Mm-hmm. But I know Bad Bunny because I watched the Grammys. Yeah, He's a so big deal. We. I get it, but, but like that's not my thing. When they announced this, line, I'm like, uh, I don't know anybody. Nope. At all. Nope. Yeah, it, well, it's a very different festival than it was even like 10 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, I, mean, I, I kind of feel like I should lie and say that I'm completely up on those bands because maybe they need a keyboard player. There's a band called Wet Leg. I'm sure they're yeah. looking. I am I'm such like, a fan of every single person. If you play for Wet person. Leg, I'd be really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they play. He researched all of them and knows all their songs. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's just it's just bandwidth. You know, there's only so much to be aware of, and some people really do. Like our, our son Dustin, just he he knows so many different bands, and he rotates through all this music. But what I do is I find music that I love, and I just put it on while I'm doing whatever around the house. And what stuff do you like listen that. to when you're around the house? Well, actually. I lied. I don't play anything when I'm in the hospital. Like when I'm driving my car, say, or whatever. <laughs> now we have to start over. That's yes, right. I, I, almost, I almost really lied. I almost said uh, music that I put on when I'm going around cleaning around the house. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that, me. That, right. In Tom your car. What are you, so Tom Petty's one of yours? Um, yeah, I, I'm actually yeah, a big Tom Petty fan. And, you know, going back to your question uh, a while back about, you know, what I used to listen to, uh, Damn the Torpedoes album was just one of my absolute favorite albums when it came out. I think it was 79, you know, early early police um, you know stuff like that and uh, so uh, I got a bunch of Tom Petty stuff in my car and then there's a connection with Rick and Tom Petty really because um, they both recorded in the same studio when they were doing the albums and Rick's wife worked at the studio oh this is so tell this story about that yeah well there's a uh, so the what is it called Sound Sound City yeah Uh, uh, on the Tom Petty Down the Torpedoes album there's there's a thing before the Tom Petty song starts and a voice goes, it's just the normal noises in here. And then it starts a Tom Petty song. Uh, that is Rick Springfield's wife. Wow. Uh, it's like the weirdest. Barbara, who worked in the studio and for some reason they asked her to do something and she said it's just the normal noises in here and they put it on a Tom Petty record. But that's who Rick Springfield is married to. So wow. another question, I'm like, if you listen to, you know, Tom Petty album at some point you're going to be go on vacation with the lady who said it's just the normal noises in here <laughs> not vacation but working working, vaca- working trips you know <laughs> I love when Tom did that so it's, it's time to turn the album over yeah, oh yeah oh my god I just heard that, that the great. other day for, yeah on the CD yeah. for yeah. those of you <laughs> for those of you listening well, it's yeah, so funny great. that vinyl has made such a big comeback oh I'm so yeah. happy well and you know it looks well, like that brain cell surgery album what a you know that's artwork it's yes. very cool well that's the thing you know? we lost but you know like I was a CD guy that was my era I mean, I love streaming. It's great. But yeah. but now my 14-year-old is into vinyl. And she's oh, she? Buying, oh, great. Yeah. Like, like Pink Floyd. She wanted a Pink Floyd album for Christmas. So, like, this stuff endures. Yeah. We've actually made a wall in our guest room. It's all uh, vinyl covers. Oh. It's all different ones. And then you can actually change them each time when somebody comes over or is staying in there, do ones that they like. I love it. I love vinyl. We have, a you know, the turntable, the record player. Yeah. Yeah, but even with, even with CDs, I'd rather buy the CD and own it than just have some sort of a digital access thing, you know, because I want to make... I want to see liner know. notes. Yeah. You know, I want to yeah. see the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're the guy that read those. That's me. And Rick is still doing that. Rick is still putting out vinyl. Yeah. So where's your next... Where are you traveling to next? Uh, we don't play in Utah that often, but uh, second week of... 
May, we are playing three gigs in Utah, kind of back-to-back. And then we come home, and then we get busy from there. And uh, over that month, we're going to be in Nashville, and we'll be in Disney World, uh, doing two two days in Disney World, which is kind of fun uh, because... well, anytime you're two days at the same place, it's cool. But also, <laughs> not packing a bag. Also, they gave us a little uh, backstage thing, and they let us get on all the rides and uh, oh. walk to the front of the ride. Only if Rick goes, though. Here's the deal: if Rick goes with us, we get walked to the front of every ride. If not, we just get fast passes. <laughs> so, if Rick goes and you need a roadie, yeah, we let yeah, me know. So, yeah. <laughs> There's rides I haven't been on yet. So. <laughs> well, guys, this has been fantastic. It was yeah, great to have you both you on. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. It's fun. And I can't wait. April 29th April at 29th. the Cultural Center, Palm Springs Cultural Center. Yes. Lip Sync for Cancer. Yes. Well, yes, and one of, one of our earlier guests on the podcast, Judith Chapman, has been involved in this, and she'll mm-hmm. be involved. She's, yeah, uh, she's yes. one of the judges this year. She's been a performer all the other years. Yeah, yeah she's so, great. What she, a community we have it's in the Valley here. Well, this is really so amazing. Blessed. These guys do an awful lot. Melissa's been involved with the, the Cancer Society for a, a long time now. More long than, time, 12 years now. So. Palm Springs Women in Film, Act for MS. So. Well, on. thank you we, both for being on here. We uh, appreciate good. what you guys do, and thank we appreciate you. you carving out a little time uh, to come and sit at a little bar. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having us. Isn't this fun? Yeah, it's absolutely a pretty cool place it to do great. it. Hey, I want to thank John McMullen, our extraordinary producer and engineer. Patrick, thanks for being here. I'm really glad you showed up today. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I'm really glad I showed up today, too. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> we'll come back next time. Big Conversations, Little Bar. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations, Little Bar. Join Randy and Patrick next time as we keep the conversation going right here on Big Conversations, Little Bar. Little Bar.